Edify means to enlighten, encourage, and uplift individuals intellectually, morally, and spiritually. And that's exactly what our Edify podcast guests do as they share practical wisdom on living our faith in public. I'm Scott Landry. Thank you for joining us today. Welcome everyone to our Edify podcast. Joining me now is Thomas Carroll, the superintendent of schools for the Archdiocese of Boston. Welcome, Tom. Nice to be here, Scott. So I've known you, Tom, as an innovator in Catholic education, not only in your work for the Archdiocese of Boston, but your work uh, working with charter schools and lots of the other different educational projects over the years. What gave you the passion to get involved in Catholic schools? So I've done a variety of things in my life. I had worked on Catholic advocacy, had ran uh, two fairly large Catholic scholarship organizations, as you said, founded 10 uh, charter schools that were serving uh, low-income, economically dis disadvantaged children. And so when the opportunity came to uh, put in for the superintendent job in Boston, I saw a way to kind of take all the different skills that I learned in a lot of different settings and bring them all to bear, but also to bring a fresh set of eyes. Because I firmly believe that if we kept doing the same thing over and over in Catholic education, that the decline that we've seen, 5 million students in mid-1960s, down to 1.6 million now, that what we were doing simply wasn't working. Cardinal Dolan has a line. He said, Catholic education has become hospice care. We know it's going to die. We're just trying to manage the pain. He doesn't state that is that that's what he wants or that's what he's looking for, uh, but just kind of a you know, a pretty direct reference to kind of the state of affairs now. So I'm a growth guy. I believe in expanding. So when I did charter schools, we went from zero to 35% market share in about six years. We also uh, are very competitive. So uh, by the time we got going, we outscored every school in Albany. We outscored every Catholic school, and we also outscored every white suburban school uh, in the nearby areas. So I think there's, there's the ability, if you can drive quality, and you can be mission focused, uh, that you can do great things. So when I came to become superintendent of Catholic schools, I was in my interview stage before I got the job. It was kind of a list of usual suspects. People that had worked in dioceses had been in Catholic education. And then in the end, they decided, the cardinal decided to pick somebody who would come in and look at everything new and bring a different mix of skills to the job. So for me, the number one job is putting Catholic back in Catholic schools. And so I'm a Catholic convert. So I never went to Catholic schools because I wasn't Catholic as a child. Uh, so uh, for me, I never taught, never been a principal, but I've been in hundreds and hundreds of schools and I know what quality looks like and I, I know what it looks like when it's missing. And I know when there's strategic drift. And so what we've tried to do is to focus that all the schools uh, be three things. First, that they totally nail the Catholicism. Second, that the academics be high quality. And then third, uh, that the schools be operational, operationally sound. And so, as you know, there's been a lot of school closures over the year in Boston and all across the country. And so those are the three challenges to kind of turn around this gigantic cruise ship and then head it in the right direction with a lot risk, but also a lot more kind of optimism in the future. When Catholic schools were begun mostly by parishes, it was at a time where Catholics couldn't really get a great education through the public school systems. What is the central aspect of uh, Catholic schools today in the context of the mission of the church? Um, some writers have said it's still the most important mission that any parish or any Catholic community would have. Others would say it's just 
one of several important ones. What, what do you say? Yeah, the, pri the primary function is the spiritual formation of children that are in our care, working in partnership with parents, who from a Catholic perspective, we believe are the, ultimately the first educator of their children. But they need our help and they need our support, particularly in a broader secular culture that is assaulting almost every major foundational belief of the Catholic Church. So to me, you know, as I'm going through and trying to, you know, we've replaced 10 to 15 school leaders a year, mostly through attrition. We have 75 uh, schools that span different groupings of K through eight, 25 high schools. Uh, I control completely the hiring process on the elementary, the K-8 schools. And so we've replaced 25 of them so far out of 75, and we'll just keep going. But the number one quality I look for is somebody who is deeply committed to their faith, and not only, uh, and that the faith isn't completely interior, because what we're trying to do is to get them to spread the faith to the children, to take children who already believe and make that faith deeper and more profound. And that requires somebody who has an extroverted personality, requires somebody who can project their faith and come across to a child looking at them saying, I want to be just like them. I want to have what they have. So partly it's getting the right principle, but it's also about getting, uh, we don't have as many parochial schools as we have, but we still have a fair number of priests, is getting kids back in touch with priests, with sisters, with uh, religious sisters, religious brothers, seminarians. Because when I talk to parents who went back 40, 50 years ago, the most significant part of their Catholic school experience was the personal relationships that they formed with either religious sisters or with priests. And so that's largely missing right now. And then also for a lot of families, there are no male role models. So if you're, you could go through much of elementary education and never run into a male teacher other than maybe the phys ed teacher. And so the subliminal message that's being sent by, in a sense, what could be called kind of the feminization of the church, which is religion is what the women do, but the guys do sports. And so I think it's very important that we get male priests in and male seminarians for them to see and look up to. But I also think we have to do a much better job getting guys who normally want to work in a high school, almost all of them, but to get them to be high school, excuse me, get them to be elementary school principals and also elementary school teachers. I think that's really important. And it's important for them at a school mass to see the men in the building down on their knees before Jesus Christ. I think that creates an indelible image. Whether they're from a family in which the dad watches sports while the mom takes kids uh, to church, which happens in some families, or they may not have a uh, male, either because of divorce or because it was an out-of-wedlock situation, there may not be a daily male presence in their life. So I think that's why we have to have, one of the reasons we have to have a partnership between parents uh, and their children is to get, and us, to make sure that we can give them everything they need for the spiritual formation. And practically, parishes, m many parishes that sponsor schools might have one priest or two priests, but you're, I'm sure, uh, telling the schools in the Archdiocese of Boston, just invite seminarians from the seminary, invite religious orders from maybe outside the area when they come uh, to Boston, come and visit a whole bunch of schools, put the invites out. What other practical advice Well, for have? example, you have in any diocese you have, and in Boston we have an incredible number of young priests, but they aren't senior enough to be put in a position that requires a lot of management responsibility. So they tend not to get appointed as pastors of parishes with schools. 
because to run a parish, the parish side and the school side at the same time is a really big deal. But as they're serving as what's called parochial vicars to the pastor who's more senior, there's nothing that prevents them from also getting involved with the school, even if that school, even if that parish may not even have a school. Uh, so we've been going around to basically all the young priests, by young I mean roughly 45 and under, um, and who are not attached to a school already, and then urging them to talk to the pastors to get released to either teach classes, uh, to do the sacraments, obviously, and also just to hang out with our kids. So St. John Paul II, when he was uh, a young priest, used to uh, take kids, uh, usually men, on kayaking trips and used to do hikes all the time. And the reason wasn't that he was trying to work on their physical fitness, but he was trying to you know, start out the conversation with a personal encounter. And from those initial personal encounters, people would see and understand him and his faith and what it meant to him. And eventually that kind of contagion would spread, if you will. And so I think that has to be done as well, which is we're recruiting uh, priests to come in and just hang out in the cafeteria, play a game of pickup basketball, go on a hike with a bunch of kids, uh, just go to the beach with a bunch of kids and just see the awe and wonder of God's creation. So there are a lot of different ways depending on how much time they have. But what's not acceptable is for a kid to go through school and literally the only time they see a priest is when a hurried, overworked priest runs in, does a mass, and runs out and has no personal relationship with them at all. That doesn't portray an attractive you know, face for Catholicism. And I'm not blaming the priests who do that because I feel the pain of kind of the burden they carry with all the assignments they're given these days. But there are a lot of priests who aren't as busy as those pastors who can be brought in. And we're actively trying to do that. And even in the busyness, what you're advocating for is a prioritization of some of our younger priests in religious time to be able to inspire the next generation to do something beautiful for God. Some of that might be following in their footsteps, but we need great Catholic doctors, lawyers, every, every particular field, plumbers, electricians. In those moments where people are brought into homes, it's God can put you in, in front of somebody that you can witness your faith. So I know a priest that we're both friendly with, uh, who's now a bishop, Bishop Bob Reed. So I was talking to uh, a guy in his 40s who uh, Bishop Reed was a young priest when he was in elementary school. So his mom recently got cancer, not doing well. And then out of the blue on Thanksgiving, knock, knock, knock at the door. And they open the door and they're surprised and there's Bob Reed. So the priest who used to hang out with him and play basketball and sit in his classrooms and so forth and, and invited himself in to spend the Thanksgiving uh, with him and his family and his mom and everything. And he said just it was a very touching moment. But, but he said after it was over, he was sitting there talking to his wife. He said, this is what's missing for our children. He has children in Catholic school. But that kind of a relationship, which is very powerful and impactful, is largely gone. And we have to, as a priority, as you say, restore that kind of relationship. At the top of the podcast, Tom, I mentioned that you're known as an innovator in Catholic education, and you've just embarked on a totally different uh, type of Catholic school. Tell us about Lumen Verum Academy. Sure. So we have 25 high schools uh, in the Archdiocese right now, 75 elementary schools. And in our market, the high schools are generally 6th through 12th grade or 7th through 12th grade. We have a couple 9th through 12th, but most of them span from what 
a lot of people would consider middle school grades all the way into the typical high school grades. And what I wanted to do is, Boston is very, for people who don't know, is very large. It runs from Plymouth, Massachusetts, as in the Mayflower, all the way up to the New Hampshire border, and then westward uh, out almost to Worcester, kind of past Framingham and so forth, Marlborough. Uh, so it's the largest, if you think of it as a school district, it's the largest geographically, the largest school district in the state, second largest in terms of the number of kids. But because of Boston traffic, which is kind of legendary, uh, not everybody lives close to a Catholic school. So the tech car to Route 128, 75% of the Catholic school buildings are east of 128, kind of Boston and tightly around Boston. And then to the west or anywhere outside of 128, uh, 70, that's where 75% of the Catholics live today. There's a variety of reasons, just generally suburbanization, but also in Boston, uh, did compulsory busing. There was kind of flight of the middle class out of the urban core. So if you came down from Mars, you would see this mismatch between where our buildings are and where our people are. So we wanted to come up with something that first of all addressed that issue. So we created a school, a blended learning academy. It's the first Catholic blended learning academy in the country. The academic instruction is Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. That instruction on a nine to five school day is in a sense kind of beamed into people's households. And so that means anybody who can't find a Catholic school where they are, they can now virtually participate in a Catholic school. Secondly, the other kind of, we learned a lot about technology, the good and the bad of it during the pandemic, but we also learned about the importance of social interaction. So Wednesday and Saturday, again, two eight hour days, so 16 hours a week, we have very intentional social interaction. Each day starts with the Catholic mass or Eucharistic adoration, and the rest of the day are team building exercises, uh, field trips, physical activities, and some in-person lectures as well. And so the idea of those days is to provide the intense social interaction that kids crave, but understanding that in a typical school, uh, kids are always around other kids, but they have proximity, but they don't actually have interaction. Even in Catholic schools, you may be next to somebody, even without a nun there about to wrap your knuckles. <laughs> you know you're not supposed to be talking in the middle of the class. So we wanted to create space, a large amount of space each week, in which the kids are encouraged to talk to each other, in which kids are taught to how, how to be good friends with each other, how to make friends, how to start a conversation with somebody you don't know. Because that kind of personal encounter among the children is really important. And we wanted the teachers who were doing the virtual instruction to also have the ability to teach in person and to get to know everybody in the school at the same time. So, but the number one value proposition for the school is that we will ensure that any parent who gives us their child in sixth grade, that we will do everything humanly possible to reinforce their faith, to deepen it, and to make sure that they don't become the statistic that we often see. There have been a lot of studies that show roughly, depending on the study, 70 to 80% of the kids from graduation in high school to the end of college lose their faith. I think that study is actually somewhat nonsensical or poorly constructed, by which I mean what that actually shows is you have relatively high church attendance when your parents take you, and when your parents don't take you, it falls off, right? So the question is, when did kids actually lose interest in Catholicism? I contend it was not at the end of 12th grade. I contend it happened in 6th, 7th, and 8th grade. So when you sit in a classroom 
and you have a question about faith that you don't you don't literally take it on faith anymore because your parents say it's true. You need more than that. You start asking questions. Most of the people in your classroom are secular, even in a Catholic school, because like in Boston or New York and uh, Chicago, L.A., whatever, a lot of the areas, there's just the, the rampant secularism has infected a lot of dioceses as well. And then the teacher may not be properly catechized, or the principal may be kind of faithful, but it could be an inward faith. So the child is going through the school year after year, not getting the reinforcement. They might not have a male role model, or they're learning one thing in religion class, the science teacher is teaching the opposite in science class. And so in Lumen Verum Academy, which people can go to at www.lumenverumacademy.org. Lumen Verum, by the way, as you know, is Latin for true light, as in the light of Christ. But we want each of these children to be the light of Christ, see the light of Christ in them, and then kind of spread the faith to other people by the time we finish catechizing them. So we're drawing very faithful families who view the number one priority for them is not football or rugby or hockey. And Boston is a sports town, as you know. Mm -hmm. But their number one priority is making sure that their child believes in God and embraces the gospels and the teachings of Jesus Christ. And that they're focused on the eternal salvation of their children. That's what they're interested in. And so that's our number one kind of guarantee, if you will, that we'll do everything humanly possible to make that happen. And so the school is designed in a way to make that happen. So every single teacher is an on fire for the faith Catholic. The, print, the two co-principles we have are on fire for the faith as well. We uh, have daily prayer in the morning, noon angelus, the end of the day we do uh, uh, a daily examine and then we do the act of contrition. They have mass adoration at least two times a week. A lot of times, like when we're doing hikes, when we get to the summit of the mountain, the priest will do a mass in the midst of this kind of spectacular, you know, scenery or you know, creation of God. So there's just this constant. And then we're taking the Catholic intellectual tradition and pushing it back into every single subject because the mass market textbooks used in all the public schools and in many Catholic schools have pushed the church and Catholic teaching and even just the Catholic contribution of music, art, culture more broadly has been pushed out of the textbooks. So I said to a priest once, would you contract out the Catholic teaching to the state of California? Because the way mass market textbooks do, the biz biggest market for the textbooks is California. So they take out anything that the political class in California would be opposed to. And I just think it's a mistake to allow the people without naming names, the name the political class in California to be defining the boundaries of what we teach and what we believe in a Catholic school. So I think we have to be a lot more intentional about lastly, we're creating a, a roster of distinguished guest lecturers because we're virtual. In a sense, the entire English speaking world becomes a potential teacher. And so we have, for example, Edward Habsburg is the ambassador from Hungary to the Vatican who is a descendant of the Habsburg family that has been a monarchy for 700 years in Europe, but it once was the emperor of the Holy Roman Empire. Uh, he's teaching the Habsburg Empire to our kids. George Weigel, the official biographer of St. John Paul II, is teaching totalitarianism in the 20th century through the lens of St. John Paul II's life. Um, so we have Mary Rice Hassan, who is a scholar. Uh, the Ethics and Public Policy Center has written a lot of books. 
uh, both on homeschooling, but also a fabulous book called Get Out Now, which is about uh, all the ideologies and the politics that are being crammed into public schools today. Chris Stefanik, uh, Jason Everett. So we have a lot of the Sisters of Life are giving us two days a month uh, virtually from different sisters from around the country. So the kids are, the goal is to have an education that's deeply Catholic, that is intellectually astonishing, and ultimately is joyful because the Catholic faith is a welcoming and, and joyful faith. And we want kids not to be walking around as tail between the legs Catholics, but to be proud of the heritage of the Catholic Church, our contribution to the history of the world and Western civilization, and to deeply understand their faith. So when they're challenged by the secular world, they know why they believe what they believe and how to respond to some of the critiques from people who don't understand our faith and misrepresent it. So it's Lumen Verum Academy, and I encourage all Edify listeners to follow the success of Lumen Verum Academy because what you learn there can impact Catholic education, not just in Massachusetts, but across the United States and perhaps the world as you test new things and you figure out how can we get the best minds to tune their content to children of that age so that they can become the future leaders of the Catholic faith and American. We so desperately need children, as in your Edify video you detailed, to know the Catholic faith and then to live it publicly. He's Tom Carroll of the Archdiocese of Boston, the superintendent of schools there, and one of the founding team members of Lumen Verum Academy. Tom, thanks so much for being with us on the Edify podcast. Thank you, Scott. Thank you for listening. To make it easy for you to listen to future Edify podcast episodes, please make sure you subscribe over at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Thank you.